Yo, what's up, baby? This is Burt Watson, and you're listening to Pro Sports Podcasters, baby. The best sports podcast on the internet. The only one I know. Your night, your fight, you need to get it right and listen to Pro Sports Podcasters all night long. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. My name is Corey Durant. Most of you know me as Kobe, and this is the Friday Fight Show. And today I want to talk a little bit about the upcoming UFC Fight Night, Grosso versus Shevchenko. But I also want to look back at the upset of Israel Adesanya by Sean Strickland. And we'll begin there. Is the Israel Adesanya loss the greatest upset in UFC history? I think it is. And the reason being is because when you compare it to the other major upsets we've seen, and I'm talking about the Matt Sarah win over George St. Pierre, or the Juliana Pena win over Amanda Nunez. In those fights, it came down to the puncher's chance. With St. Pierre, it was one solid shot, landed right on the button, that rocked him and he was unable to recover. And in the case of Juliana Pena's win over Amanda Nunez, it was having that additional reach and turning it into a a brawl once she caught Nunez and disoriented her from her game plan. And that can happen in basically any fight. That's a possibility. When you're throwing hard, well-trained blows at your opponent, if you catch anyone right, you can walk away with the victory. So although those were upsets, they were upsets in the way you would expect to see them happen. And I would even throw the Sean O'Malley versus Aljamain Sterling fight in that category. I would see that as an upset, and it came down to that puncher's chance. But when it comes to the Israel Adesanya loss to Sean Strickland, we saw none of that. Sure, Sean Strickland caught him with one solid shot early and, well, late, actually, in round one, but it wasn't enough to put him away, and Adesanya weathered the storm, moved on to round two, and from that point on, over the course of the next, you know, the full 25 minutes, neither was truly that effective. Sean Strickland obviously won the exchanges and landed a few of the better shots, but never really had Adesanya in any serious trouble for the rest of that fight. But more importantly is Adesanya never had Strickland in trouble. Not once. He was completely ineffective. And that's what makes this upset the greatest of all, is that this wasn't a lucky shot that got the win. This was just pure dominance by what everyone assumed was an inferior fighter. I think most of us would still say Sean Strickland is the inferior fighter to Israel Adesanya. So what's going on here? Is all you have to do is maintain a constant high guard in order to beat Israel Adesanya? Because that's really the only defense that Sean Strickland used. And that was enough to thwart Israel Adesanya's attack. Yes, he had to check a few kicks, but is that going to take you out? I don't think so. So what would we expect to see in a rematch of that fight? 
What would make the difference? What could Israel Adesanya do to get past that defense and get himself a victory? There are a number of things, but we'll save that for another episode. I just want to go on record as saying I think it's the greatest upset of all time in the UFC. Let me know what you think. You can reach out to us on any of our social media channels. We're on Twitter at ppodcasters. We're on Instagram at pro.sports.podcasters. We're on TikTok at Pro Sports Podcasters. We're on YouTube at Pro Sports Podcasters. So you can find us almost anywhere. Let us know what you think. Now let's look ahead at the UFC Fight Night Grasso versus Shevchenko. Let's go down the line and we'll begin with the main event, and that's the rematch between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko. And Valentina may be the best striker we've ever seen in the women's flyweight division. But is that enough for her to beat Alexa Grasso? And for most of that fight, the first fight, it looked like it might be. Right? She is a superior striker to Alexa Grasso. I'm not saying Alexa Grasso is a, a bad striker. She's very accomplished herself. But Shevchenko is obviously the superior striker. She's a little crisper when it comes to the striking. But this won't just be about striking. Alexa Grasso has quite a few victories, including the last one over Shevchenko, by submission. And I think that's the difference here. I really think it is. I think she's just a little too strong for Shevchenko to prevent her from doing what she wants to do in grappling exchanges up against the fence when it does go to the ground. I think for Shevchenko to win here, she's going to have to catch her early and disorient her. And that is not something I even considered as a requirement in the first fight. I picked Shevchenko in the first fight. I expect it to be a striking exchange. I expect her to keep it on the feet. I expect her to get the victory that way. But this fight, I will expect to go to the ground at some point to spend a fair amount of time against the cage. And I think in those exchanges, Grasso gets Now, what we should look to see is early on. So in rounds one and two, we should watch to see if Shevchenko has changed anything about her, her striking in this particular fight. Because I don't expect her to come out the exact same way she comes out normally. I expect her to mix this up a little bit. Look to see how wide a stance she uses. Watch her movement. Because normally she kind of stalks down her opponents, whereas this time around I will expect her to use a lot more lateral movement and a lot more counterpunching against Grasso. We'll see if that's a factor. I still think Grasso takes this, and I wouldn't be surprised if she gets another submission against Valentina Shevchenko. And I'm going to pick Alexa Grasso by submission, but I don't think it'll take as long as time. I think it'll be round three. Let me know what you think. Now, in the co-main, we've got Kevin Holland versus Jack Della Maddalena. And anybody who follows the Pro Sports Podcasters knows that I am a huge fan of Jack Della Maddalena. And if this fight happened at least a year ago, I would have made Jack Della Maddalena a heavy, heavy favorite to win this. But Kevin Holland has looked pretty damn good over his last couple of fights. He's really improved not only his approach to the actual fight, but his defense, which is something he kind of lacked early on in his career. He showed very little defense, a ton of offense, some unorthodox striking, which would kind of throw off their opponents, but he's always had trouble with very crisp, disciplined fighters, of which Jack Della Maddalena is one. He has a very disciplined approach to his, to his game. He approaches it more like a boxer 
right? Defense first, proper technique, distance control, but he likes to keep it just within that that range of being able to hit you or being able to step out of distance. Whereas Holland will move around a lot more, be a lot more unorthodox, throw some wild strikes. But in his last couple of fights, he looked a little more regimented about the way he went about things. So I think this is a closer fight than I would like. I really want to see Jack Delamadalena win this because, of course, I'm a, I'm a JDM fan. And I think he will win this just because discipline will win out. I, I don't think he'll get caught by some wild shot from Kevin Holland. It would not surprise me to see Kevin Holland get this to the mat at some point, and it would not surprise me to see Kevin Holland have Jack Delamadalena in some trouble. And this will be his most difficult contest so far. But I still think Jack's got the proper technique, the power, and more importantly, the patience to beat Kevin Holland. I expect this to go the distance. I would like to see that Jack Delamadalena get out of the finish, but I don't think I don't think he will. I think Holland's learned his lessons against some of his previous opponents, and I think this will go the distance. But that Jack Delamadalena will land more shots and more meaningful shots in this particular contest. BetUS Sportsbook is your ultimate destination for online betting. With sports betting, live betting, racebook, online slots, and online casino. It's available across the U.S. and Canada. Use the code PSP to receive a massive sign-up bonus. Now, I'm very interested in the next fight of the card. It's Rahul Rosas Jr. versus Terrence Mitchell. And what really has me excited about this particular matchup is that Rahul Rosas Jr. kind of burst onto the scene. He's a young kid. He's 18 years old. He's just coming off his first loss, but it's a loss that he really gave to himself, right? It, it showed his inexperience. He came out of his corner to start the first round like a Wolverine. He was all over Christian Rodriguez and had Rodriguez in some serious trouble and tried to get that early finish because that's what he does, right? He's a submission specialist and couldn't get it. And as a result of that, really burnt himself out, burnt out his arms, burnt out his legs. And the veteran experience of Christian Rodriguez then showed through in the next two rounds where he took over because... Rahul Rosas Jr. just couldn't recover. And that's what gave him the loss. That's what caused it. He really shouldn't have lost that fight. If he had approached it a little more patiently, he could have easily beaten Christian Rodriguez, maybe even got a submission later on in that particular fight. So I see that as more of a learning experience for the young kid. And now he's facing Terrence Mitchell, who you never know what you're going to get with Terrence Mitchell. He's very strong. He's got a great submission game of his own. He can throw with vicious intent, but leaves himself open to a lot of a lot of ways to lose, really. So what we have here is the more experienced, maybe even more dangerous opponent to the more technically gifted Rahul Rosas Jr. So this is going to be a very interesting fight to watch. How they approach it, What's Terrence Mitchell's game plan against Rahul Rosas Jr.? As much as he's got a great submission game himself, maybe he doesn't want this to go to the ground and focuses on trying to keep it standing. Maybe he's okay going to the ground, thinking that Rahul Rosas Jr. will make the same mistakes as he made against Christian Rodriguez and try too hard for a finish against somebody who knows how to properly defend it. Or maybe he goes for a submission himself. I don't know what to expect in this fight, which has me super excited to watch it. I do like Rahul Rosas Jr. to learn from his previous mistake and maybe even get a late submission in this particular fight. 
I would go with the decision victory for Julio Rosas Jr. in this one. I expect him to just be all over Terrence Mitchell, give him absolutely no breathing room whatsoever, and and earn the victory by controlling him on the mat. Let me know what you think in this particular fight because it's it's one that's very difficult to pick. But I, I like to see the growth of Rahul Rosas Jr. here, and I think Terrence Mitchell just leaves himself open to too many opportunities to get beat. So that's who I'm going with. And we move on to the next fight on the card, and that's between Daniel Zellhuber and Christos Diagos. Now, neither of these fighters have much of a following yet, right? This is kind of like a make-a-name fight for both of them. Daniel Zellhuber has the more impressive record, but it's against a lot of opponents that people won't recognize. So can you really trust it? In this case, I like to look at the measurables, and Daniel Zellhuber has a significant height and reach advantage over Christos Diagos. And Christos, looking at his victories, very few come by way of submission. So I see this as maybe a striker versus a striker. Maybe striker versus dirty boxer. I don't know enough about both fighters to really give you a an honest opinion here of what might happen. But when I look at the victories by Daniel Zahuber, he's obviously a decent striker. He's got wins by ground and pound as well, which means he's rocked opponents. So having that height and reach advantage is going to be a huge advantage in this particular contest. And I think that might be the difference here. I think that might be it. I'm actually ignoring the records. I'm pretty sure Daniel Zahuber comes in as a favorite, although he may not because Christos Diagos has actually more UFC experience. So he may even come in as the underdog, but I like his chances just because of the measurables. So I'm going Zellhuber here. I don't know what to expect. I may look a little more into some of their past fights on YouTube to get a better idea of what's possible here, but I think Zellhuber will land some pretty solid strikes because of that height and reach advantage. And that's going to be the difference to me in this particular contest. And then the debut fight on the main card is Fernando Padilla versus Kyle Nelson. And Kyle Nelson is Canadian. So of course I'd like to see him do well here, but I think this is a really, really bad matchup. I think Padilla is the the crisper striker, the quicker opponent, a little more skilled, even in the ground game. I, I think he really beats Kyle anywhere. So for Kyle to get the win here, he's going to have to look for that solid shot, or he's going to have to pressure Padilla to the point where Padilla is uncomfortable. Similar to what we saw with Strickland versus Adesanya, where Strickland took Adesanya out of his game by just being on him constantly. Now that's a dangerous place to be, but it might be where Kyle Nelson has to be to get the victory. I don't know if this goes the distance. I actually expect it not to because I expect this fight to take place in a phone booth. I don't expect to see a lot of lateral movement here. I think both fighters will will bring it. And I just think Padilla has the better skills and that will be the difference. So I'm picking Fernando Padilla. I'm picking him by TKO or KO here and probably in the first round. I don't think this one lasts very long at all. So I'm going to go for a very exciting start to the Noche UFC, Grasso versus Valentina. Let me know what you think. Now, there's one last fight I want to talk about, and it's actually not happening. And that was the scheduled contest between Shavkat Rachmanov and Kelvin Gastelum. And this was the fight I was most interested in seeing at this particular event. 
those of you that follow the channel know I'm a massive Shavkat Rachmanov fan. Huge Shavkat Rachmanov fan, and I expect him to at some point be the next welterweight champion, hopefully sooner rather than later. And Kelvin Gastelum has a rich history in the UFC, but what made this fight most interesting to me was that he was moving down to welterweight, right? He had a string of losses at middleweight against very, very good opponents, and he showed himself to be a a true match for the majority of them. He just came out on the losing end. And now he moves down to welterweight, and his first test was going to be against 17-0 with 17 finishes, Shavkat Rachmanov. So I was amped for this particular fight. It's not happening. Gastelum suffered a fracture in his face during training. I believe it happened during sparring. So it leaves Shavkat without an opponent, and more importantly, without too many people willing to face him. Gastelum was only game to go because he saw it as an opportunity to skyrocket himself into real consideration in the welterweight division, having not fought there before and not really having any any meaningful opponents to, to judge by. So here was a very dangerous opponent that nobody else wants to fight, and he was willing to step into the cage and go for it. So with him stepping out and Shavkat having really no one interested in the welterweight division of facing him, where does that leave him? When will we see Shavkat fight next? I'm hoping it's this year. I don't know who it would be against. I'd be very interested in seeing him fight someone in the top five, like a Colby Covington or a Gilbert Burns. Although I almost think it's unfair to Burns to keep throwing him in there against just monsters. The guy fights everyone, and I give him full respect for that. But maybe it's about time we gave Burns a, a shot against somebody he wants to fight versus having to fight, right? I would love to see the fight against Colby Covington, but it seems like they're saving that for Leon Edwards in his next title defense. I mean, that's the plan. That's what Edwards kind of wants. If he has to fight somebody below him in the ranking, then maybe Ian Gary would be a great matchup. That would be an awesome matchup. Although I don't think Ian Gary wants that fight. I know if I'm Ian Gary, I don't want that fight. So what do you do with Shavkat? Who the hell knows? I just hope they find something for him to do in the next little while because he is such an exciting fighter to watch. Till next time. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience, where no sport is left behind.